Let's all humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you on this special day, a day of rest and a day of focusing on you. We are so grateful that we can come before you and and enjoy this enforced rest. For we know that it pictures a time coming when Yahshua will return and will give us the rest that we all seek from this world and from the sin and from the corruption, and that we might all rejoice at that time. We thank you for your guidance, for those who are seeking you, that we might be a help to them, to show them the way, too, as well as someone showed us. So we pray that you will be with us this day, the message, the words that are spoken from you, and that you would bless all those who honor you in the truth that we find in the word, in Yasha's name. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. Greetings, everyone, and all those watching online and from afar and at a different time, maybe by DVD or some other way. It's great to be back and back in the saddle again. You know, when, uh, as we learn, feast is coming up pretty, pretty fast. And for us, it's like fast and furious because we got to get everything ready. And uh, we knew it was going to be quickly, and it is quickly. So we're getting ready. And, you know, when we go out and we watch for the uh, lunar crescent each month in compliance with the biblical calendar, people go by and say, what are you staring at the sky for? When we keep the Feast of Tabernacles here and we got tents set up and we got campers all over and kids running around and people doing things and people say, why are you camping in the fall and school is now in session? Why don't you do it in the summertime, have your camp meeting? And now when we meet on the Sabbath rather than the day of the venerable sun, people say, why are you keeping Old Testament traditions anyway? Well, the answer in all of this, of course, is that Yahweh is the one we worship, not we ourselves. And he calls the shots. He establishes the parameters. He sets the agenda, and we follow. Simple as that. Simple as that. In only a few weeks, we have the pleasure once again of observing Yahweh's feasts here in Hold Summit, the uh, feasts of the seventh month. Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacles, Last Great Day. Yahweh's feast encompass, in a nutshell, the major events leading up to salvation with the theme of the agricultural growing and harvest season. And that's why one of the reasons we go by a biblical calendar that emphasizes that. Starts with Abib. Abib. That's a time of the greening of the ears of barley. And so that starts the, the year by the first month, and then it goes from there, and we count seven months to tabernacles. Uh, you know, these are major events in the redemption and salvation. Of course, they'd, they'd be faithfully observed in the New Testament as they were with Yahshua and his apostles. He and those who followed him are, are examples. They never observed one secular holiday. No Christmas, no Easter, no Halloween. They never observed any quasi-religious holidays 
of the world that are nowhere in Scripture as well. Another purpose of the holy days is to keep the believer continually engaged in Yahweh's plans of salvation. You know, we human beings have a collective amnesia. We forget. We forget. And we lose track. And we get lazy. And, you know, even just sometimes even keeping track of the new moon, we forget sometimes. Oh, this is new moon night. We've got to go out and watch. We have a spiritual amnesia and need to be constantly reminded to worship Yahweh. He does this weekly with the Sabbath. He does it annually with his feast days. We have to have reminders. Why do you think Israel is constantly sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice daily, and then a lot more, twice as much on Sabbath? They had to be reminded that they're sinners and they need a redemption. Historically, whenever man forgets Yahweh's holy times, he falls into gross error and ultimately into apostasy. Without the knowledge of the holy purpose of Yahweh, he soon heads the wrong way in the wrong thinking and in the wrong life. Remember what happened to the northern ten tribes when Jeroboam broke away and started his own feast in the eighth month. What happened? The apostasy set in, and it came quickly. And they were never blessed with righteous leadership from that point on, the northern tribes. Look at the apostasy of churchianity in the first couple hundred years after the apostles uh, left the scene. The church chose to ignore scripture, start its own days of worship, tweak things, change things. It neglected the millennial kingdom presented in Revelation. And this is borne out in the 4th century by the church father Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo, who first ventured the idea that the Catholic Church was the kingdom. And it supposedly commenced with Yahshua's appearance. It negated the millennial kingdom presented in Revelation. In fact, the book of Revelation was also dropped from the Greek canon, and the teaching of the millennial kingdom was essentially banished from official theology for many years. The feasts show the true pathway to salvation and the kingdom that the church deflected from. That's why they have no idea when it comes to the feasts, what they're all about. They went on a different path. They didn't follow the pure teachings of the word that help explain salvation through his feast days. I kind of want to get into that today to kind of prepare you. Like I said, we only have roughly six weeks. Got to start thinking about it. Got to start planning about it if you haven't already. I think we have one room left up in our, our, auditorium, our rec center up there because of one cancellation. So, you know, uh, if you don't have a tent or a camper, you want to stay in a uh, motel room, they're available and close by. We'll talk about that later. The feasts show a calling out of special people, not the entire world, only a small minority, and that's why people don't generally understand the feast days because it's not a majority teaching. These Moadim reveal the path. The Yahweh is set out to salvation. That path is narrow. It's not wide. A lot of people won't be on it. Just a few, a few called, a few special people. We talked about that in the Bible study. The first fruits, the first resurrection. We can't change the world. 
We can only reach those called by Yahweh. He's set it out there. We need to plant the seeds, attract those who will come. You know, Yahshua's overarching mission is in John 4.34, where we read, Yahshua saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and, very important words next, to finish the work, his work. Finish his work. He desired to finish the work that Yahweh began at Genesis 1. He didn't come here to change the Old Testament into a New Testament with completely new teachings. He came to finish the work from the beginning, the very beginning. That's his purpose here. Yahweh started. He's going to continue on to the end, the whole plan. Not to trash that oppressive Old Testament and start with a new faith on his own. Uh Uh-uh. No way. That, that That would be very bad if he defied his own father. But that's what the churches teach. He started a different way, a different uh, set of teachings. Trashed the old law and threw it all out. Peter in 1 Peter 2.21 told us that Yahshua is our example, and he is the one we're to follow. And he gave his followers the same message, and we're to follow what they taught as well, because there was the same message. His steps began in the Old Testament, doing Yahweh's work. For even hereunto were you called, because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So what exactly did he do? How did he walk? By being sinless, he obeyed his Father in everything. And that same standard he gave to us through his statutes and judgments. Now we kept him, we're to keep him. Some will say, well, you guys need to be a little less resolute. I mean, come on, ease up a little bit. Come on. Uh, you know, be more like the churches in the world. Ease up. You're just too intense. And therein lies the biggest contradiction ever concocted because following the precepts of the Old Testament is exactly what Yahshua did. We can't do anything else. We can't. It's like in our DNA now. But you need to emphasize love a little more. Come on, love. Like Yahshua did. Translation, just love him and every other obligation in the Old and New Testament is really unnecessary. Just have love. They don't understand what love of him is. Love is their code for permissive, tolerant, laissez-faire, passive faith. That's love. Really, I must be honest. That's what they see as love. Have them define it. Have them define what is love of Messiah. They can't. Just have good thoughts. Feel good feeling inside. I guess that's all they know. They mean passivity. Let's let John straighten out this misunderstanding of love and its concept that many use as their favorite excuse for disobedience. 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him. Many people do. Do you know him? Do you love him? 
And keepeth not his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word in him verily is the love of Elohim perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that says he abides in him, the modern rendering is, have a personal relationship with him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. See, it all boils down to the same thing. It all, the nexus all goes to the same place. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. Who are, who's reading this? These were Jews who were brought up, you know, as Jews, obedient to the Torah. He said, I'm not, not writing anything new. This is stuff you've been doing all your life from the beginning. He said, the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Literally, keep the word as taught by Yahshua. A fellow recently stopped here at the end of the day, and I went out and talked with him a little bit. And during the discussion, I pointed out that we were commandment keepers. He says, oh, you know, really, all that really matters is you're supposed to love Yahweh and love your neighbor. That's all. That's all you need. But to keep his commandments according to John, 1 John 5, 2, how do you love your, your neighbor? Romans 13.10 says, love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. How about that? It's an active verb. It's something you do. It's not passive. It's active. You reach out. You do things for others. You care for them. You do things. That's, if you do things for them, you're not going to be doing things against them, which would be against the law. You see, it's easy. It's not hard. Doing no wrong to him is actively complying with the law, which defines what wrong is. How do you love Yahweh? It says, keep his commandments, according to 1 John 5, 2. You love your neighbor, according to Romans 13, 10. It all boils down to the same thing. No matter how you slice it, the New Testament teaches obedience to Yahweh. And that's what we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to be better than anybody else. They immediately jump to that conclusion. I don't know if they feel, you know, inferior to that or what. I'm not trying to be better than anybody. I'm just trying to follow the Bible. I hope you do too. That's our biggest joy and hope. Just put the two parts of the Ten Commandments into a nutshell. That's what Yahshua did. Love Yahweh, love your neighbor. That's the two sections of the Ten Commandments. First four, last six. Here Yahshua just put everything into context. You know, it's not really... Different in the New Testament, to New Testament, 1,050 precepts, commands from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Nothing changes really, except for a few administrative things, and also, of course, in how we uh, trust in Yahshua as our sacrifice and not animals. In obedience, and as a pattern for behavior, Yahshua kept the feast and the Sabbaths. If he did it, how can we go wrong? doing it too. I mean, after all, can we stand before the judge and say, yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, you didn't keep them, so I don't have to keep them. Well, we can't say that because he kept them, and he's going to judge whether we kept them or not once we know and understand. In his model prayer, he said he did no sin, meaning he did not transgress any of Yahweh's moral spiritual statutes. He said in Matthew 5.18 that it would Take the complete dissolving of the universe before any of the laws that Yahweh gave us 
would disappear, would pass away. And yet in complete and total rejection of what he said, they came, they say he came to do away with the law and obedience. I think it's a twist, perverted twist. It's kind of like, you know, like they say, insanity. It's saying the same thing over and over again and expecting to change the truth. That's my own twist on that, expecting to change the truth. We live in a culture of the biblically untaught, uninformed, unskilled, and morally oblivious, and because of it, even unable to pass righteous judgment, which is the result of moral corruption and rebellion. When the Bible's moral and spiritual authority is cast off, the culture suffers its own consequences, its own meltdown. When the moral influence is gone, Yahweh gives them up to reprobate minds. That means unable to make righteous decisions and judgments. That's what reprobate means. Today's spiritual decline is, is free-falling, even in churchianity, where you would expect to have some hope, but no, it's going, going down there too. A July 18, 2018 headline read, Famous Church Forbids Bible Reading on Premises. Can you believe it? London police arrested a man reading the Bible outside the church's iconic St. Paul's Cathedral. Ironically, freedom to read the Bible in public was one of the first aspects of the freedom of religion to be legally established in England. Last year, at the trial of two street preachers, the Crown Prosecution Service claimed that, quoting from the King James Bible in public, in the context of modern British society must be considered to be abusive and criminal. Wow. It's coming to a neighborhood near you, brethren. Something pure and good and necessary is now evil. Moral abominations that are a stench in Yahweh's nostrils are now acceptable and even prized. We have such... unanimity and and we're so uh, open and everything we just accept it all a clear picture of our day's spiritual rot you see each night on network tv news is prophesied in isaiah 59 i love how the living bible translates this it's so clear and so true listen to this isaiah 59 14 in the living bible Our courts oppose the righteous man. Fairness is unknown. Truth falls dead in the streets, and justice is outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who tries a better life is soon attacked. Yahweh saw all the evil and was displeased to find no steps taken against sin. That's amazing. Right out of today's newspaper, isn't it? The proven... Ironclad antidote to our world's ills is Paul's specific instructions to the young Timothy. When he started out his ministry, what did he tell him? What do you have to do as priority one, Timothy? What what was it? Do you remember? Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. When do you, where do you see doctrine being preached today? 
less and less, less and less, and, and if it is, it's probably wrong, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. These are just teachings. Don't be afraid of the word. They're just teachings of the Bible. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Or could say having itching ears, they heap to themselves teachers who would say what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, 2 Timothy 4.2. Fables from, is from the Greek muthos and means made up stories. J.B. Phillips' translation says, wander off after man-made fictions. Sound like today's morning church, doesn't it? Paul further admonishes Timothy, but watch thou in all things endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Get out there with the word and preach it. Make full proof of your ministry. Notice how he combines afflictions with the work of evangelists. One's going to follow the other, you know. They go together. The truth brings affliction, as we all know, and that is one of the two reasons the church has decided to leave it, to drop it, to abandon it. The other is fear of the loss of followers and revenue. People don't want to hear the truth. They want to tickle ears, not the word. You know, it's crunch time, brethren, and time to get back to preaching the word. If not us, who? As we just read, the stones would cry out. If there is hope, it comes through a return to Yahweh's ways. How did Israel return to Yahweh? You know, they had been in Egypt how many years? Centuries in Egypt. How did they get back to Yahweh? Through the feasts. Through the feasts. Moses said, let my people go. That we can go into the feasts, into the, so into the wilderness and keep a feast to Yahweh in the wilderness. That's the same path we like to return to today. Teach people. Bill, you know, and the Sabbath is a feast too. Teach people the truth through Yahweh's days. Passover pictures the forgiveness of sins that are past. In Romans 3.25, well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread portrays coming out of sin, the leavening of the world, and the leavening of Egypt, coming out of that. That's what unleavened bread signifies, getting back on track in the truth, following the ways of Yahweh through humbly, following the proper teachings. Then come the fall feasts that teach a return of Yahshua and the kingdom. And there's another teaching you're not going to hear much about today is the kingdom. They've abandoned that too. So they don't even know why they do what they do, why they follow the scriptures if they do. Why would they do that? They don't talk about the kingdom, a preparation to teach his truth to others eventually in a thousand-year millennial rule. So, the fall feasts are coming up. One reason we have regular fellowship during the Sabbath and feasts is so necessary, so that we can make course corrections. I don't know how many times people have come up with a teaching, and someone's sitting there listening and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about this? Oh, well, I, yeah, I never thought about that. It doesn't really fit with what I believe. Uh, I guess I've got to change my belief. And then, of course, you hear good messages. You hear lots of good things. You come away filled. You come away, you know, like you've, you've been fed spiritually, and you're also going to be fed physically too. That's another great part of the feast. Regular fellowship. Well, in Egypt, 
Israel did what the Egyptians did. They didn't have regular fellowship. They just got caught up in the world, basically. And they probably thought like Egyptians. They liked the Egyptian food, the leeks and the melons. And I mean, they, this is all they really knew. A lot of them, they grew up there. And Yahweh had to remind them and reintroduce himself through Moses and the laws. Moses didn't pull these things on stone tablets as something brand new. Yahweh was reintroducing his laws that were there from the beginning. Or Cain could have slain his brother and it wouldn't have been against the law. A lot of sorts of things could have happened back in Genesis if there were no law. Of course there was law. They just forgot it. Israel's freshly mixed dough was unleavened. It meant they were to start a new life, free from the corrupting influence, the leavening of Egypt, leavening of the world. They're about to embark on a path of sincerity and truth. You know, we live in a spiritual Egypt. No denying that. I think we all agree. Israel's example was ours as well. The world influenced us in powerful ways that we're not even aware of. We're not even aware of it. Insidious ways. It has a powerful way of rubbing off on us and if we aren't careful can suck the right proper zeal for Yahweh right out of us. We've got to have regular communion with Yahweh. We've got to. We need it. Yahweh says to come out of the world and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Take Lot. I always like to point to this guy. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't as faithful as Abraham, but, you know, he was one of, the, one of the ones they could find out of ten they searched for who was a righteous man. Genesis 19.15 says Lot didn't want to leave Sodom. He hesitated. It says he lingered. He was at the gates. He was like a judge or something. I don't know, I guess. Uh, he questioned and hesitated, just like his wife, who physically turned back and looked back to Sodom. He had grown accustomed to that environment of sin, even though he didn't accept it or condone it, but he got accustomed to it. It's like, well, this is my home. It's where I've been for many, many years. Gross sin should have grossed him out, but this was his home, and he put up with it. To guard the angels, he even offered his daughters to these filthy animals. Finally, the angels manually pulled him and his family out by the hand before Yahweh incinerated these five cities. I've been there. I saw the destruction. You want to see the destruction? You want to see the slides go the right direction? There it is. Here's what happens when you tolerate sin. The sin of Sodom destroyed. They have, by the way, their rock is just like ours here, limestone. Limestone subjected to thousands of degrees of heat, and it gets compressed so you can just snap it. This is the kind of thing you're seeing there, limestone compressed and striated. There's a process. It's called chemical process, but I've forgotten what it was. But we learned that when we were over there, and it crunches. And look at all the ash all at the bottom. Yahweh says, come out of the world and keep my feast and don't end up like this. And lot like, many who know the command still linger indecisively in the world. 
Thousands should be here at the feast. Where are they? They're lingering in the world. They either don't understand or they don't care. It's their life. It's their future. It seems some just wait for an alibi to present itself, an excuse to dishonor the command and stay home. Sad. We try, we entreat, we encourage, we do everything we can. Just like trying to get Lot out of Sodom. Can't you find just 50? No. Can't you find just 10? No. Only one family out of that whole thousands of people. I don't know how many. Thousands had to be who came out. We're redeemed. We're saved. Are you like Lot having a hard time leaving your home and go to the feast when commanded? Which do you care for more anyway? This present world or him? You think he's going to honor that when you stay home and ignore his feast when you know they're mandated? You think he likes that? It's a strong message, I know, but it's time to wake up. It's time to get out of Sodom. And if the world can offer salvation, hey, go with it. Go with the world. If they can give you salvation, hey, have at it. But if the world yanks salvation right out of you, you better seriously consider your choices. Keeping his word and attending his feast is a test of your faith and a test of your love for Yahweh. When you really love him, you obey him. No questions asked. No excuses made. I'll be there. I fear the day when he could say to me, you knew the importance of my Sabbath. You knew the importance of my days that I gave to Israel, that I gave to Yahshua, that I gave to the apostles, that I gave to you, but you didn't care enough to put me first. You put the sinning world ahead of me. You put your involvement in this world ahead of me. And neither can we make shortcuts and think, he'll be fine with it. We can't modify Yahweh's directives. We can't make our own path. We can't. It's a dead-end path if we do. We follow exactly what he says, and when you make only a cameo appearance, like at the feast, you refashion and revise his instructions to suit yourself. Neither his demands for observing the feast-long festivals are adhered to, or they aren't. Leviticus 23, 1-8. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto Yahweh. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no, do no servile work therein. And then, then it says, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh seven days. Not one day, not a couple days in the middle. Seven days. All days of the feast you were to be there. You couldn't offer if you weren't there. You brought your bullock or whatever up to the priest, laid your hands in your, for your sins on it. He takes it and slaughters it. And if you weren't there every day, you weren't keeping. You weren't honoring this law. You weren't honoring the feast. You know, as we review our understanding, we have a chance to assimilate the truth back into our lives. We feed on the pure bread. Yahshua the Messiah 
In John 6, 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread, he says, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. By keeping the feast every year, we're reminded of the influence sin has and the much we need Yahshua, the bread of life. We see the world around us and we realize how easy it is for our permissive society, permissive society, to break Yahweh's will, his statutes, without giving it much thought. It was easy in Sodom too when everybody was doing it. When you couldn't find ten righteous out of thousands, Many think that the Sabbath and feast days are hard, and they ended at the cross. 1 Corinthians 5, written about the year 59, Paul addresses the Gentile assembly at Corinth, and he says to keep the feast of unleavened bread, verse 8. And that implies all the feasts. You keep one, you keep them all. They're all given as a package deal in Leviticus 23, along with the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. You don't take one, pull one out, and think you're keeping Yahweh's... uh, will, doing his will. The night of the 14th was filled with fear and trepidation, and they left on the 15th, joyful and confident. The whole nation gathered to leave as a group with a high hand. Paul has told us that the history of ancient Israel was for our learning and for our admonition. It isn't just a cute little story, something to you know, read to our kids. It's for our learning, whatever they gave to Israel. He and the apostles and everybody, Yahshua, it's for us too as well. The history of them is for us, that we should not stumble and fall at Yahweh's words, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. You're not going to be popular always when you tell others that they're on a dead end and they need to change their ways, change their direction recalibrate, calibrate, reorient the way they worship. Pro- Yasha promised it wasn't going to be easy. You know, he, sa- he showed us by his own life's example that you won't win any popularity contests in teaching the truth or in following the truth because it clashes with the world and the world is the vast majority And the world by nature, by spiritual nature, does not want to follow Yahweh. That's their nature. It's a different spirit. Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, don't get mad. Don't even get even. Just rejoice and be exceedingly glad, he says. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which went before you, and we could add, and so they persecuted you too, Joshua. He in John 15.20 tells us that the servant is not greater than their master, his master. If they have persecuted me, hey, guess what's going to happen to you if you follow me? Okay, we're ready. If you're not criticized, if you're not persecuted for the truth, if your family doesn't, make snide remarks about your, your faith, your unconverted family. Then you better check the path you're on because it's not the same as Yahshua's. If you're not criticized, if you don't have tribulation in your faith, 
You better check whether you're on the right path. How does nominal worship explain that statement? When they aren't persecuted for their beliefs, shouldn't that alone raise red flags about where they are in relation to Scripture? Shouldn't that talk to them? We don't set the course. He does. We just do our level best to follow it. That doesn't make us any greater than anybody else. In fact, it humbles us. Paul said he was humbled by the afflictions that he got. He had had one that uh, Yahweh wouldn't take care of, and he was really humbled. One thing you learn very quickly when you come to the truth, it's not a faith of dabbling. We do things in the truth. This is not your corner church. It's all the way or it's no way. And that is why we take immersion into Yahshua's name so seriously, because it means a complete changed life for the rest of your life. If you're not ready for that, you better wait. Make sure you are ready. I don't advise waiting anyway, but I'd rather, you know, you put your hand on the plow. He says, you don't go back. If you go back, you're in trouble. Luke 9:62, and Yahshua said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of Elohim. It's sad to see people drop from the faith. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it happens. It's sad to see it. The word is crystal clear. We may put nothing before Yahweh, nothing. He comes before everything. First commandment says you will have no other mighty ones, anything else before me. Guess what the biggest idol is today? No, not that one. (laughs) That one. It's us. We're the biggest idol. We're the biggest one. Why? Because we put ourselves before Yahweh over and over and over when we should give up ourselves to him. We constantly put ourselves and our wants before those of Yahweh. This is what we're trying to overcome in living for him and keeping his feast, is to put him first. The day is soon coming, as the song says, when no man can work, and the Bible says, when many will not stand for the truth, they'll be asked to choose between Yahweh and their families, Yahweh and their friends, and they'll be unwilling to give them up, like the rich young ruler. You're rich? Yeah. Then sell it and follow me. I can't do it. I can't do that. I've worked all my life for this. How can I give it up? Guess what? Your life is going to end pretty quick, relatively speaking. And then what are you going to do? Yahshua talked to thousands. He had 12 of the closest disciples there could be and shared his joys, his sorrows, his trials, his temptations, the defeats, the good times, and the bad times. And yet, what? He died alone. Not one stood with him. Even Peter, Mr. Mouth. Oh, yeah, I'll never deny you. No, 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 no. Three times he denied him. You know, it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy to follow Yahshua, but we've got to do it if we accept and expect the prize. Not one individual deemed Yahshua and his teachings of truth important enough to risk their lives for him. It was too tough. They wimped out. Are we ready? You know, Paul said, they told him, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be arrested by the Jews, and you're going to be tried before and killed before the Gentiles. He says, I can't do anything else. If I die, I die. And that's the the same place. I mean, this is 
This is faith to the utmost. And this is where we got to be. If we die, we die. But what's greater than what comes after? Yasha said, you die for me, your salvation is assured. We may not have to die. Hopefully, none of us will. Hopefully, we'll be in the in that great multitude protected on eagle's wings into the wilderness. Maybe at a feast. I think that's what it's talking about, keeping a feast. Protected by Yahweh because we're being faithful. Why would he destroy us if we're being faithful? He wouldn't. All of us here made a choice when we were immersed into the name of Yahshua to live the faith for the rest of our lives and die for the truth if need be. But those hard choices, those difficult choices that we made, decisions, don't stop when you enter the body of Messiah. Others have the idea, okay, once saved, always saved. I made this commitment, verbal commitment. I accepted him as my savior. It's done. I'm, I'm through. I can do whatever I want, live however I want to the rest of my life. Complete opposite of what that means. And as I said, if your belief system is popular, you better take another look. Because the truth is unpopular. We hear it all the time. The common doctrines are easy and demand almost nothing of you. Do whatever you want. On the Sabbath, doesn't matter. Live for the moment. Just have love. No problem. Go with the world. Listen, the world doesn't care, brother. (laughs) Don't live for the world. They don't care. The people of the world won't sacrifice to follow Yahshua to observe the Sabbath and feast because they have one foot in the world even if they're trying to, trying to. They still cannot completely leave like Lot. I don't know. You think he would have sat there forever? The angels hadn't yanked him out of there? I think his wife would have. She liked it where she was. I, I don't understand it. That's where... Leavening can influence your whole life. Leavening of sin till you don't recognize. Yet he was still considered righteous, so he knew he just had a hard time with it. We see the world going to Hades in a, hell ba- in a handbasket, and yet, boy, it's still hard to leave sometimes for some people. Can I tell you a little story? I don't know if I get this right. Um, Many of you know that my grandsons really are into baseball. I mean, really into it. And they were going to baseball every, you know, all week, two of them. One goes one day, another another day, all summer long. Anyway, uh, of course, when Sabbath comes around, sunset, if they happen to have a game Friday afternoon, uh, they told the coach. And uh, I was sitting there with Ryan. He mentioned about uh, All-Star Game, and Ryan says, now you remember about Sabbath. Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I, I know, I know, I know. You don't, you don't play on when the sunset. You don't play on Friday night. I know that. Well, later on, the head of Little League in Jefferson City told Ryan how much he respected his faith for what he does. He said if the world would do the same, it would be a lot different place. You know, sometimes we can be an example and not even realize how we're making an impact on others. Whereas the culture normally just has its eyes set on December 25th. 
You know, it's interesting. I, we believe, and that's another controversial thing, it's, it, it's not salvation, but it hinges on it. We believe that the real temple was not where the typical temple is. The Wailing Wall was part of a Roman fortress. And I see these Jews up against it, you know, bowing. They're bowing and putting, putting their prayers in the cracks of the Wailing Wall, a Roman structure, if indeed we're right. Bowing before observing all the trappings of Xmas, a pagan Roman construction, is the same way. How can we do that? To give up all that offends Yahweh, to adhere to the truth no matter what, a lot of people can't, just can't get to the point of leaving the traditional holidays that were invented by the Roman church. To be able to sacrifice family, friendship, even yourself for the kingdom's sake. That's probably as difficult as it gets. But then look at the rewards an eternity of rulership, of judge, of, of uh, priesthood with Yahshua the Messiah under David. Can you imagine an eternity as opposed to nothing? Cut off, dead, that's the end. No more consciousness, it's all over. If you turn against him. You know, nothing really matters more. Well, we pray that the next six weeks are your preparation for being obedient to Yahweh, for coming to the truth, for coming here to observe the highlight of the year, Yahweh's feast. We all rejoice. You won't know what it's like until you've been here. You know, we've done our best to get ready here. I will have to say that we are better set up for the feast than anybody else. Think about it. Just think about it. We're not trying to make it convenient, but we're trying to make it happy. And that way you make it convenient. If we include all the rooms here, including the residents on the property, there are 38 rooms people can stay in. RV sites with full hookups, at least 15, maybe more. Tents with electricity, innumerable. Bathrooms, I counted 11, I think I'm right. Showers, 18 showers on this property. And all the brethren that have worked hard, well, a nice, how many kitchens? What did I count? Seven kitchens? Now that includes the little ones, but you know, all the brethren that have worked so hard. And we we're so thankful for our volunteer, like I counted like 45 people involved getting that building ready. And all the work and all the detail, and now we're working. We got the, the uh, carpet pretty much down. A few places left. I think he ran out of carpet. Had to order more, but we're just a few places left. And Delwyn will have that. And uh, the, the, the uh, construction of the framework for the doors, the painting of the doors, painting the framework, uh, making of the beds, putting down the slats, putting down the plywood for all those beds. A lot of work. But you know, someone, and, and when, you get those, when you get those bunk beds in there and you look and say, there's an awful lot of room in here. And then I got to thinking while we were away, somebody made a comment about tabernacle, sukkah, 
What is it? It's a feast of booths. Booths aren't big, are they? They're small. And here we got 38, well, 27 booths and then others, you know, in different places. It's really, you know, I, I never thought we could do it. And we're still pushing as hard as we can to get it done. And if you've got a few hours sometime, any time between now and the feast, please come up and do some painting or do some sanding or something. But we're getting there. And it's, it's such a joy to see brethren pitch. And I tell everybody I go, I said, we got the best group of volunteers, the best body of Messiah you could ever want. They pitch in all the time. Somebody was saying, well, how are we going to keep this clean? You know, we go to feast sites somewhere else, and it always looks better when we leave them way when we came. And we've seen some pretty trashy places. By the time we're done, they got to be happy. In fact, they want us back. They like the way we clean. May not like what we teach if they're, if they're a religious campsite, but they sure like the way we clean. And everybody pitches in, and that's what it's all about. That's serving. That's serving brethren. That's the love of the brethren. So, you know, like I said, if you have any time, we got some work yet, but uh, I think we'll make it.